Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome back to College and Kimble. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Justin Nutter, Clint Wilson, and Alex Speth, getting ready to dive into another installment of our little show here. Uh, Before we do so, we'll promote it as we always do. Do podcast things for us. Go ahead and rate, review, subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is. And if you haven't had a chance to already, go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And you can go ahead and drop us a line there. And all of our individual Twitter handles are linked out on that page. So house cleaning taken care of here. Let's go ahead and dive into this. K-State dropping its second straight Big 12 game of the young season, falling at home to the Oklahoma Sooners, 37 to 31, the final at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Lincoln Riley picking up his first win over Chris Kleiman. And guys, there were a lot, were and are a lot of items to discuss here with this one. Obviously a very difficult loss to stomach if you're a K-State fan, you felt like coming back home. Obviously, you felt like you were going to have a puncher's chance in the game, and then you get the big news day of that Skyler is going to try and give it a go, and we see one of his best performances, really, of his career, arguably the best performance of his career. But um, I'll I'll guess I'll start off here with you, Justin. Go ahead. Uh, What were, on when game day rolled around, not knowing anything about Skyler's status, just what was your gut feel in terms of whether or not he was going to try and go? Uh, you know, just based on what I'd read, you know, in the days leading up, it, it definitely sounded pretty promising. That said, you know, you obviously didn't know what version of Skyler you're going to get. And I'd said it basically since he was helped off the field against Southern Illinois that, you know, don't rush him back. Like, you don't I don't think you can risk the rest of the season over having, a you know, 50 percent Skyler for a game against Oklahoma. I know that's a game everybody wants, especially given, you know, this is likely their last visit to Manhattan. I totally understand that, but you know, if I, I I was not a I was not a big fan of the idea of rushing him back. But then you know, we saw probably his best pure passing game of his career. Not probably, definitely the best pure passing game of his career. So, I mean, honestly, if anything, I felt better after the game than I did going into it about the outlook of the rest of the season. I just really, really solid performance by him all the way around. He was. Going through his progressions, you know, looking for the open guy, uh, you know, Clint said it off air, you know, he wasn't abandoning the pocket. So, like, if that's the version of Skyler we can look forward to the rest of the year, I think it, it definitely plenty of reason for optimism. And, again, you touched on I think that's probably the biggest takeaway, the biggest positive that a lot of K-State fans are going to gonna cling to as we move forward throughout the rest, uh, through the rest of the Big 12 slate here. Uh, Clint and Alex, I'll give you guys a chance to chime in. What did you like most about what Skyler did this past Saturday, just in terms of how how he managed everything with, with the knee and everything? What what did you come away feeling most impressed with? Honestly, I thought he looked like a completely different player. I mean, I thought he had a little more zip on his passes than I've ever seen him have. Uh, he definitely looked way more poised. Uh, he was climbing that pocket. It, it the offensive line had a great day in pass protection, but the few times that it was kind of collapsing around him, he didn't panic. He uh, kept his eyes downfield while still maneuvering around the pocket. He did a good job of, um, you know, if there if he didn't have anything downfield, he dumped it off to Deuce. He dumped it off to Landry Weber. Um, you know, I I think we all kind of set it off air that him being hobbled might have been the best thing for his passing game. 
Yeah, to me, it just feels like there's not that apprehension to throw the ball. Like, he's always had that, you know, if it's not there, I can always run the, I can always go get some yards with my legs. And obviously, he didn't run at all, if I'm correct. Like, not even a, he didn't take off on any uh, runs and no called called runs for him. So, limiting those options, he knew he had to throw the ball. And, you know, some passes that maybe before he doesn't make because he doesn't want to take that risk, he, he throws the ball. And I think a lot of good things happen there. I think the other thing is just the game itself. We knew we had to score points. Uh, our coach is going for it on fourth down and being aggressive. I think that sends the signal like, hey, I need to go take risks and throw the ball. And I think that's something we've kind of wanted out of him for a long time is you know, we can we can handle a few bad throws here and there and some turnovers. They're going to happen. But we need you to, like, get rid of the ball and try to make plays with it instead of just always taking six or seven yards on a scramble when we need a big play. He was sharp. And to your guys' point, uh, your question earlier, Alex, yes, that was his only carry. He, he was sacked one time on the day, and that was, in fact, his only official carry of the day. Now, I do have to touch on some of the uh, superlatives here. Career high in completions with 29. Uh, previous high was 24 against West Virginia in the 2019 game, which K-State ended up losing. Uh, career high in attempts, again, eclipsing the 2019 West Virginia outing in which he had 39 attempts. Uh, yards, 320, second highest single game total for him. Uh, his career high was the 334 that he dropped on Oklahoma in the big comeback win in Norman last season. And then three passing touchdowns tied a career high. Uh, you have to go back to his uh, big coming out party down in Stillwater way back in 2017 when he connected with Byron Pringle on all those deep bombs against the Pokes secondary. And again, he was secure with the ball. Uh, that's always going to be uh, and just also with the way that he had been throwing it early in the season. Those the the throw against Stanford that uh, Caillou Blue picked off was really a sensational play by the defensive back. The one INT that he threw against Southern Illinois candidly, I think we all felt was was just a bad read on his part and a little late too with the delivery. Uh, but he was remarkably sharp. You guys all, to, to a man here, touched on that. He, he just knew where to go with the ball, when to check down. Um, and, and, and I put it out on Twitter during the game. I said, we're going to Alex Smith the hell out of this game. And, and man, did he. he. He knew where his outlets were. And, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with, with that type of approach, especially when you have a quarterback who's not going to be able to run and use his legs the way he previously did. And, and that, that could have ended up being a factor in potentially helping K-State move on some of those possessions where the offense did stall out because you look back at those previous two wins against Oklahoma, Skyler has seven rushing touchdowns in those two contests. Were there a ton of designed runs in those games for him? No, uh, and, and a lot of those carries came in the goal line where K-State and, and Chris Kleiman and the Courtney Messingham office's offense rather has always shown a penchant for trying to go zone read and, and get Skyler, you know, out on the outside after, you know, doing the fake dive or whatever it ends up being. But that, again, I, I can't state enough how impressed I was with, with just his composure all day long. He was, he was remarkably good in that department. 
because uh, you never know if you're going to be a little gun shy to coming back off of an injury and you never know how, how hard he's going to want to try and rip it. But he he delivered one of the best performances of his career, albeit in a in a losing effort. Now, uh, I, I do want to talk about just the offense as a whole. Uh, Alex, you hit on it being aggressive and going for it on fourth down five times in the game. Uh, that did send a message, I think. And I, I think one that you can obviously take as we move forward into the season, that I think the staff clearly trusts Skyler, uh, regardless of his physical condition to, to be patient, go through progressions and to find the open man on those fourth down plays. And I hope that we continue to see that type of, aggressive attitude from this offense moving forward. Now, at the end of the day, though, K-State does only score uh, on four out of eight possessions. Now, you obviously have to factor in that first drive where it, it, it looks pretty apparent that K-State is going to cash that one in and, and get at bare minimum field goal. But we, we have the Jacardier fumble, uh, which, again, this all goes back to Alex wanting to get that guy more carries. Um <laughs> I do have to say, though, I know I was very frustrated in the moment I put it out on Twitter several times that I, I I was so angry about that one play. But in the same breath, and we've all talked about it, how we we all wanted Jacardier to be the thunder to the Deuce Vaughn lightning. We wanted him to get more carries, and and you hope that he keeps his head up. Chris Kleiman talked about it during the presser earlier this week that. Jacardier is a very invested guy. He cares a lot, and uh, and he could have very easily been one of those guys who entered the transfer portal, especially after last season when he just really became a ghost after the first couple of games. We really just did not hear from him. He could have very easily put his name in the transfer portal and been out of Manhattan, but he he wants to try and make it here, and you hope that this doesn't shake him too much and that the coaches are confident with him moving forward. But I, I do have to ask you guys as a whole with the offense only scoring on the four out of the eight possessions, what, what were the elements, I guess, that were frustrating for you against Oklahoma? Well, the, um, you know, the running game was very inconsistent. I mean, there was quite a few times where uh, Irvin and Deuce were able to go through the big holes and get eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 yards. But then there's also a lot of times where they get stuffed right at the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, I I really like the way Urban was running it throughout most of the game. I thought Deuce could have uh, hit the holes a little harder a few times. You know, I I said this to the guys beforehand. It's probably me just um, taking Deuce a little for granted right there because I mean he's obviously an amazing player, but um, you know you want him to to just continue to grow and continue to be the best player he can be. And um, so I'm always looking for him to do a little better. That might be asking way too much. Um, but that's kind of what I was thinking out about throughout the game. I think if we're just talking in terms of what was the most frustrating, it how many close plays seemed to go Oklahoma's way in this one, you know. And I know we're going to get into detail with uh, you know more of them later, but just Oklahoma puts it on the ground twice and comes back up with it. You know, K State only puts it on the ground once and flips the field on what looked was like you said what looked to be an imminent touchdown. Um, we're inches away from essentially a miraculous fourth and 13 conversion. Uh, the, you know, everything that happened with the onside kick, obviously, you know, it only, to, only ended up being a six point game. One or two of those bounces goes our way, you know, might turn out differently. And that the team did plenty to hurt itself throughout the day. I, like 
to blame it on one back break is silly, but it, you know, definitely could have helped if even one or two of those went our way. So that was definitely frustrating the way it all shook out. I would say to your, your point that we only scored four out of eight possessions. Um, the frustrating thing is even when we look to be aggressive, it's the fact that our offense still requires us to have to convert so many of those fourth downs. You know, it's, you would like to be able to kind of march down the field and get points without having to be in so many uh, opportunities that you have to go for. And not these, you know, these weren't for, they weren't fourth and super long, except for when it was, you know, pretty much um, desperation mode. But, you know, these were, you know, fourth and four, fourth and, I can't remember exactly, fourth and fives, that kind of thing, fourth and three. You know, it's not like fourth and inches where it's like, you know, oh, are we going to go for this? Like, these were riskier plays, and I love that we were taking the risk, but the fact that that's where our offense is is where we have to convert those fourth downs to to score, um, you know, on 50% of our drives is kind of frustrating, especially when it felt like that was one of our better offensive performances this year. And, and I don't think there's any shame in this type of an effort against a defense in Oklahoma that is still it's it's tops in the Big 12 in terms of rushing yards per game, uh, allowing just 79 per contest, second best in the league at yards per carriage. They're only behind um, West Virginia in that regard, giving up 2.6 per carry. So this is still a very stingy Oklahoma run defense. And, and truth be told, I, I came away feeling somewhat more impressed by the fact that you don't have the element of the QB run game. Oklahoma very apparently knows that and you were still able to churn out of, you know, a few yards on the ground that, that to me, I tend to take that as more of a positive and also to see Skyler have the success that he did through the air was again, yet, yet another uh, positive to take away. I, I do want to hit briefly on, uh, you talked about those fourth down scenarios, Alex, uh, we'll go through the, <laughs> the, the plays here. And, and these were, Nutter, you ta- you touched on it as well. Like K State, really, when there were pivotal moments, they they all seemed to swing the way of Oklahoma, which I, I tentatively agree with. But I also, in the same breath, when you're K State and you go for it on opening possession, you have the first, you have a fourth and five on the OU forty. You hit Daniel and Bebe for an eleven yard uh, pass to move the sticks. Second drive, you have a pass to Phillip Brooks on the fourth down and goal to go situation. You convert that into a touchdown. Third drive of the game, you have another fourth and four. This is the ball on Oklahoma's 46. Like, yes, the, everybody wants to look and magnify the, the onside kick, which we'll dive into here momentarily, and the Jacardier fumble. But also, you do have to think about converting four out of five for fourth down. So like if you miss on any of those, especially like the goal to go, like this game might not even be close to striking distance, you know, in, in those late stages of the fourth quarter. So while it does feel like a lot of the breaks went the way of Oklahoma, I, I do have to acknowledge that K-State was efficient and did and did create some of their own breaks and some some of their own good fortune in converting so many fourth downs because if you go for fourth down five times in a game chances are you're probably not going to be converting 
all you know four or five of those every single game you know and that's and Alex to to piggyback off of what you were saying you want the offense to to be more efficient and to stay ahead of the sticks and that's going to be one of the big tasks I think for for Messingham and the staff moving forward is okay well we know pretty definitively here that we're not going to call a whole lot of designed runs or give Skyler a lot of read option plays where he has the ability to get out on the edge. How are we going to find ways to create running lanes for Deuce, for Joe Irvin, whoever's carrying the ball? Because I think this offense showed against one of the better defenses, if not the best defense in the conference, certainly the most talented defense and one that's probably going to end up being in the top one or two in terms of scoring and all the measurables, you know, take the good with the bad there, but you still are going to have to find ways to be innovative and, and, and create some opportunities for yourself in the run game moving forward. Now, um, I think, uh, again, offensively, really Skyler was the show. We, we talked about all of his numbers that he put up. Uh, I do have to throw out what Deuce did on this day, 25 touches for him, 155 yards total. So averaging a little bit more than six per touch. Um, did you guys, do you, I get, let's, let's frame this a different way. Do, do we think we're going to see that type of volume for him in the passing game with the 13 targets that he had? Is that something that you guys feel like we're going to see more of, or was this really just a byproduct of, just taking what OU was giving you. I hope we see more of it because after the Oklahoma State game where he couldn't do anything on the ground and then one broken play turns into a 70-yard or 60-yard touchdown or whatever it was, um, I've kind of been – it's been working this year up until the Oklahoma State game, just kind of running our normal – running them in between the tackles. And I think he kind of – you know, goes against expectations of being a good runner in between the tackles. But I've kind of wondered why we haven't been putting him out and getting him the ball in space a little bit more, too. So I definitely think that's a good trend. Uh, I know that the trend is kind of going that way just because the running game hasn't been working as well. I hope there's they find a good balance between the two, um, you know, getting him the ball in space in the passing game, but also in the running game, getting, you know, some more off tackle looks as well. Yeah. It just seemed like the uh, Oklahoma defense wasn't keying in on him in the passing game as much as other teams had. Um, that probably had something to do with Landry Weber and the downfield passing game coming, uh, coming alive. Um, so, you know, anytime the offense is, uh, you know, spreading around to multiple players, then the defense won't be able to key in on Deuce Vaughn and, so if we are being able to give him, you know, eight, nine, ten looks in the passing game, that probably means our offense is um, doing good things. Yeah, I mean, whatever opportunities you have to get that guy the ball in space, you take them. I don't care if it's, you know, I don't care if it's out of the backfield or I don't care if it's, you know, an intermediate passing game, whatever you have to do. Like, yeah, and if that means we're looking his way in the passing game 13 times, fine. I, I, it doesn't matter to me how you're doing it. I do think uh, there are going to be some opportunities there, but also I, I think, especially going up against Iowa State this this next, uh, not this coming Saturday, but next, they're obviously going to be keyed in on him and, and and every other defense moving forward. So I think there's still, again, some, some items to take away in terms of what Clint talked about too with 
Landry Weber, really a, a big coming out game for him. Malik Knowles, while he did have a, a pretty big drop in this one, was still reliable. Phillip Brooks had a lot of nice catches and some big, big catches and big moments. He helped convert on a couple of those fourth downs with his grabs. So good things all around in the passing game. And I, I hope that this is more of a trend that we do attempt to target him because I think as we all feel the the opportunities to be that more conventional between the tackles runner that I know Messingham and company want him to be. I don't know if those opportunities are going to exist the way that they might have previously when, when Skyler was a bit, a little bit more viable in the run game, but that's something obviously that we'll see as we move forward. Uh, one, one more thing here uh, as we get set to transition to the defense, I, I feel like I need to, to throw this out there, we, we talked about moments and the offense making its own breaks in this game. The the fourth and thirteen play to Landry Weber. Who wants to go first in terms of what you thought about that? Well, Alex was pretty uh, up in arms about it at the end of the game, but I think he might have come around to the <laughs> the way that we were thinking that it probably wasn't a catch. But I think I might have crisscrossed with Alex there in the middle because I just today I was watching it again thinking, man, that that really might be a catch right there. So I've, I've changed lanes quite a few times. I can't really decide what it should have been. Um, you know, if I was not a K-State fan, I probably would say that's not a catch, but it's, it's so close. So go ahead, Alex. Okay. So in my opinion, he has possession of the ball. It hits the ground, and his right hand, a couple of fingers, curl on the ball. However, his left hand moves with the ball and never, you know, he, he controls it with his left hand the entire time, and it's pinned up against his left hand with his right hand, although the right hand does move on the ball. In my opinion, I saw it live. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty good at, you know, if I think it's going to get overturned, I'm like, well, even if it's for my team, I'm like, well, that's definitely not a catch or that is a catch. I saw it live. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It looks like they're going to keep that one as a catch. So I was pretty shocked that they overturned it. To me, it was one of those plays that probably should have just stayed as called. Uh, but like I said, I think he never lost possession of the ball after it hit the ground. But the fact that his fingers did move and kind of slid on the ball, even though, you know, one and a half hands maintained possession of the ball the entire time. To me, it was, I don't know, it's, it's a close one. I could have seen it as a uh, call stands. You know, if they called that incomplete on the field, I wouldn't have thought they were going to turn it into a catch. But um, I have seen things that look even less like a catch before that have stood up as a catch. So who the hell knows? Yeah, I think that the series of events leading up to the play obviously make the outcome that much more, you know, gut wrenching. You know, we we everybody was still pretty hot about what had happened with the onside kick. You know, the defense stands up and, you know, forces a pick what equated to, uh, you know, essentially a punt. Um, offense goes down the field with the chance to cut it to three point game with a ton of time left. And then it's originally ruled a catch, which I think really just kind of drove it all home. I think if that was ruled a drop or an incomplete pass from the get-go, I don't know how much of an argument you're really seeing uh, in the other direction. So yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever truly thought it was a catch. I think it really sucks that it was originally called a catch, then we had it taken away. But yeah, that 
I don't know. I, in my opinion, I I would not have been shocked at all if they'd have called that a drop originally. I never would argue with it. To to be fair, a guy literally landed three inches with, like with three inches of his foot out of bounds against us in Stillwater, <laughs> and they kept that a catch. Like how you know the fact that they reviewed that one where the guy clearly lands out of bounds and they just kept you know call on the field. That's that's to my I'm like. There seem they they don't seem to be re, uh, overturning a lot of plays when you watch replay these days. You know they usually stick with the call on the field unless it's like completely obvious. So that's kind of why I thought they would just stick with the call. But of course they'll start changing it when it affects us. I guess so. It, it was again just. A fraction, you know, if Skylar maybe puts a, a touch more air under that ball and Landry's just able to like roll in underneath it. He also on that same play had um, Malik running on the boundary and it looked like he had a step on his guy, but that's obviously going to be a lot more challenging of a throw to connect on, especially on a fourth and 13. You just want to keep the drive going. So it just, it, it was one of those things where like, this is re- it really just kind of underscored the theme of the day, which was K-State was just that close. That was kind of really the Jacardier fumble. Just, you felt like you were just perpetually behind the eight ball. You were constantly chasing what amounted to, a, I'm going to just go ahead and say K-State was going to punch that in. Like the, the way they had just gashed Oklahoma on that opening drive they were going to they were going to get a touchdown there and you were just chasing that touchdown from from you know the whatever it was the nine or so minute mark where that fumble occurred but we, we've talked plenty uh, about the offense again plenty of good go well, ahead. one more thing about the offense Jeff I just want to give a shout out to Keenan Garver getting that 54 yard catch that you know if Skyler could have put a little bit more air under it was probably going to be a touchdown you know, we've been waiting for him to break out for a while now, and I wouldn't call one catch in one game a breakout, but, you know, hopefully that can be a springboard for him to really start showing off his athleticism. It's good to see. Yeah, and I, I think we all feel here that the K-State's going to, the, the balance uh, in terms of how the pendulum is swinging play ratio, like run to pass, I think we're going to swing, this, this is going to go pretty heavy into the pass as we, <laughs> we get set to move forward here, and we're going to see a lot of, of four and, f- and uh, five wide receiver formations. And, and it's good to see the sophomore starting to get in and feel more confident and to see him make that play, to get behind the OU secondary the way that he did. And, and that, was, that was a pretty big stage in the game, too, where the, the air had just been sucked out of the stadium. There, K-State is in dire need of something. Like that, that was a moment, too, where K-State needed something to happen quickly. And Keenan Garber fortunately delivered that in a big way for K-State. He had that big 54-yard catch. Uh, again, just a sophomore. Got plenty of his career ahead of him. Lots of good things coming from that young man. Lots, uh, and, and again, hopefully some of these other receivers we see start to pop a little bit more as we as we move forward here. Um, now, we've spent plenty of time talking, uh, again, about the offense. And I think that was obviously the big story of the day for Kansas State. They do end up outgaining Oklahoma in this contest. However, there was the other side of the ball, which was not so great for Kansas State and arguably the, the worst performance, uh, I guess, of, of the season in the aggregate. The, the first half against Oklahoma State was bad. This was arguably worse because it, it gouged you for a full 60 minutes. This, 
this defensive effort that we saw this past Saturday was just not great at all. There, there's just very few positives to say about the Kansas State defense. Uh, uh, the ball just didn't hit the ground. Uh, Spencer Rattler was 22 of 25, um, and, and it, it was only 243 yards. It's not like Oklahoma got you with the big play, and that really hasn't been their their mo this season, which is not at all typical of what we see from these Lincoln Riley teams. Uh, it was just death by a thousand cuts, and, and K State just really struggled uh, to contain anything Oklahoma was doing in the passing game. And they were taking all the underneath throws and just, like I said, death by a thousand cuts. It was really tough to watch. Uh, what unit do, or where did you guys feel like K-State was let down the most? I think we all pretty much looked to the linebackers. I, I didn't know if you felt like any other unit really struck, uh, struggled, might've struggled more rather this past Saturday. No, nobody looked good, but uh you know, the linebackers just seem to be completely out of position on just about every single play. I can't think of one single linebacker play where they actually really stood out. You know, the linebacker, the safeties, uh, cornerbacks, defensive line made, you know, small plays here and there, but linebackers just look lost. Yeah, I think I'd go with linebackers as well because, like you said, that. Um, I don't know the numbers on their rushing, but it seemed like they were pretty much getting anything they wanted on the ground. And then when they wanted to throw it, they didn't really have to go deep. And it's just, it's just one of those things like we seem to, you know, our linebackers are really not there to fill the hole to, uh, to stop the rushing game. Um, and then we just kind of are keeping people in front of us in the secondary. So, you know, they're getting beat on the the shorter patterns and, I don't know. It's just what what is the goal of the defense? You know, is it their play has been going down or the you know, the, the uptick in talent they've seen the last two games is causing them fits because it's, you know, kind of it's showing the lack of speed maybe in, in the linebacker and secondary unit. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't really know what the, the, the deal is with the defense, if it's just an execution thing or it's just this is kind of the defense we would we are all probably expecting to see most of the year and they finally have gotten into you know the big 12 play where it's kind of just making the the first few games look like you know maybe we just had good matchups on defense or um the the i think a lot of it is speed you know i think our defense did looks really good when you're playing uh you know southern illinois and um Nevada which you know they had they had a good offense but I don't think they really had anyone on offense that like scared us with their speed or anything um also they don't have quite the offensive line that Oklahoma has as well or even Oklahoma State for that matter but um Stanford's another team like they seem to be doing pretty well since we played them but they weren't really scaring us with their speed either so it's to me it's just pointing to a lack of team speed overall on defense um, also, we can't discount some of the injuries uh, without having Khalid Duke there and, you know, relying on a guy like Matt Lack, who is a freshman and is definitely not going to play his best game every week. Uh, then we lose Boom in this game. So, you know, a little little struggle struggle with the, the <clears throat> injuries as well. So, 
So, yeah, obviously injuries can't be discounted, like you said. And I do think the, the lack of speed uh, has been on full display for the last two games. And because of that, we have to be perfect in pretty much every other facet. And, you know, the gang tackling that we raved about in the first three games is gone. Obviously going to be a product of the speed. But then the the the, the tackling in space has just been piss poor for two games in a row now. You got guys trying to hit high. You know, I don't know if they're trying for the highlight hit or what, but the form just hasn't been there. So we got guys bouncing off in space and letting, you know, ball carriers run free for an extra 10, 15 yards. Um, terrible angles off the edge. You know, like there was, we, we talked about it a little bit before we started filming one of Oklahoma's touchdowns. Ryan Hennington had a clear shot at Spencer Radler and just took a horrendous angle from the word go. Um, you know, that probably should have been a seven, eight yard loss ended up being a, a 10 yard touchdown pass. So, you know, things like that, when, when you don't have the athleticism to make up for it, it's, it's going to come back to haunt you pretty quickly. There's not much that K-State can really do, I think, to, to, to correct or mask this either. And I've heard people talking about it on Twitter too, about, well, they need to go back to a four-man front. Like, I'll just be honest. Logistically, you, you spend the entire offseason installing your scheme, converting over to this three-man front. You do that because you have a guy like Timmy Horn to anchor it. I don't know how in a bye week it, that you're going to just completely change your philosophy. I could be completely off base. This might be much more feasible than than what I'm get, giving it credit for, but – I think that's that might be proved to be uh, might prove to be a little bit more challenging than some people are just saying like oh yeah just have a week yeah work on you know work on your technique work on yourselves and install a completely new base defense let's revert back to a four two five or a four three like I don't think it just happens like that so I think this team is what it is uh, as far as your your front uh, your front six and I think K State's just going to have to find a way to to get more exotic with its with its blitz packages, whatever it ends up doing, they, they're going to have to find a way to apply more pressure. That was probably the thing that hurt the most this past Saturday. Uh, you get one sack and only one hurry for Oklahoma on 60 offensive snaps. Uh, just And Spencer Rattler had all the time in the world to throw. He was not really rushed into doing anything that he felt uncomfortable doing. Uh, so again, whatever you need, to, whatever Klanderman needs to do to find ways to apply pressure to opposing quarterbacks, we're going to have to see that because I know Spencer Rattler and, and to a lesser degree, Spencer Sanders, obviously in the week prior, those, those are two of the more veteran and, and Spencer Rattler is obviously still one of the, the favorites to win the Heisman, like, You've you've seen two of the better quarterbacks in the conference, and and quite frankly, the the caliber is going to gradually decline after that. But Brock Purdy is probably the next guy up on that totem pole, so that's going to be the next biggest test. Now, once you get past Brock Purdy, I think you've got a whole mess of we don't even know. You know what what's Baylor rolling out there? What's Tech rolling out there? Uh, I think you have a lot of pretty marginal at best QBs, but Brock Purdy is probably going to be the next and probably the, the best one you're going to see the rest of the way up for Kansas State. So a big challenge forthcoming for this defense on that front. Uh, but again, it, it was just a, a struggle to watch against Oklahoma. 
uh, particularly like, again, the tackling you guys mentioned was bad. I, I do have to reel off a, <laughs> a very damning stat here in terms of uh, yardage rate. Uh, this this was probably one of the tougher things to, to look at and calculate here. So based off of Oklahoma's starting drives and, and what I, I did also incorporate penalty yards in this, but uh, based off of Oklahoma's starting drives, they gained 77 of, 77% of the available yards. So 356 of the 462 yards available based off of starting drives, they gained those yards. If you go back and look at the first half of the Oklahoma State game, it was very much a similar trend where Oklahoma State of the 411 yards that they could have gained, they gained 331. So that's a yardage rate of better than 80%. You got to do some big time soul searching. And I, I know K-State was not horrible against the run necessarily where they, you know, giving up four yards per carry is not great. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing to write home about, but it's, it's not, getting gashed for five and a half or six to carry, but still there's, there's a lot that needs to happen uh, here during the course of this bye week. And, and to that point, guys, I'll, I'll just ask you uh, what's, what's the one thing you would like to see short up more than anything else uh, looking ahead to this Iowa state contest. Well, we need to find a way to get pass rush going on to the quarterback that kind of facilitates our whole defense um, I would love it if we were able to like kind of man up our cornerbacks and uh, do a little bit more press coverage. We are, have been getting torched in the zone, um, but you know, anytime we can get a pass rush, that's going to make everybody else look a lot better. Yeah, I'm going to echo that pass rush. Um, press a little bit more. Maybe not, you know, even if we're running the zone, just drop the safeties back just a little bit. Like, until te until teams are going to start beating us deep, we can't just have them nickel and dime us all the way down the field. You know, that's those are easier throws. You want them to you want to force them to make tougher throws, have the ball in the air longer, let your guys go make plays on the ball. Um, also, just, you know, got to force some more turnovers. There's nothing the last two weeks says that this defense has to be shit the rest of the year. You know, like they got their ass handed to these two games. They can make adjustments. They don't have to completely, you know, change their entire base defense to make some adjustments. They could, uh, you know, run more man, bring some some blitzes. Um, <clears throat> maybe just shrink their zone just a little bit until teams start. Because even Oklahoma State, they weren't beating us deep at all. They were just hitting us in that underneath zone area in front of the safeties. So uh, I definitely think there's there's some adjustments. And that's the thing. If, if your defense is bad and you're giving up touchdowns regardless, what does it matter if it's on a big play? You know, at least you're making them make a tougher play. Um, crash down a little bit more. Make, th make throwing lanes a little bit tighter. Um, get some better pass rush would be nice. But, um, yeah, I think... When you sit back so much and the quarterback has all the time to to throw the ball, you know, we we like to hear it with Bill Snyder, the whole bend but don't break and make them get the short yards and hopefully they'll make a mistake. I always thought that was a pretty shitty attitude for defense because a lot of times we'd lose because those teams would just be like, all right, I'll take the 10-yard pass. So um, you could get bait deep and the guy overthrows, you know, just – if they're going to score on you, 
at least try to pressure him up front a little bit and make those throws a little harder. You might get some deflections. You might get some interceptions, whatever. So, yeah. But, yeah, there's there's nothing saying that they can't get better throughout the rest of the season either. So, Yeah. there's. I mean, there's not a lot I can add to what you guys already said, you know, other than we have not won the line of scrimmage at all on defense the last two games. You know, and that's something we were doing a phenomenal job of early in the season. So start winning the line of scrimmage again. You know, get home when we do blitz. Uh, you know, you got to get home off the edge. And when you do get home, you know, finish the damn tackle. That's missed tackles in the backfield. It's, it's. I don't know, a lot of times it feels like I was watching the Chiefs. You know, it, it again, I go back to that, not not to single them out, but that Look how bad like that that Hennington play, you know, that's going to stuff like that's going to keep happening to you. You know, if you can't when you get there, you got to wrap up, you got to make the play. Otherwise, it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, the the underneath throws were K-State, unfortunately, just from a personnel standpoint, you have Daniel Green in the middle. And and I did want to ask you guys. uh, Somebody raised a great question during uh, Kleiman's press conference about Daniel Green not really playing his normal self. Anyway, he was limited to just three tackles in this game and Oklahoma did a great job, I think neutralizing and making sure that the passing lanes were not all going, you know, they weren't trying to get K-State over the middle. They were working the, the boundaries. Do you feel like he was maybe a little bit more tentative against Oklahoma, knowing that there is that if he gets popped for a third targeting call that he's potentially uh, subject to a suspension? I don't think so. I, I, I didn't notice any plays where he like kind of let up on a tackle. It was more just he was out of position and wasn't there to make the play at all. Yeah, I, I would say that's a more appropriate question if there was several plays that he was in a good position and just kind of, you know, had a weak effort on a tackle then you think maybe he's second guessing, like being aggressive. Uh, but I think our problem was just our linebackers either weren't reading the plays right or they were just getting eaten up by blocks. You know, their their O-line just kind of dominated. So, <clears throat> it, Again, it was a tough one to, to take in uh, defensively, K-State. Surrenders 388 yards in this contest, and we already talked about it. Spencer Radler had himself quite a day. Uh, you only create seven Havoc plays on 60 snaps. It just it was not the recipe K-State needed in Oklahoma. Uh, did not have the biggest thing in all this, and we'll jump into special teams next, but Oklahoma did not punt once in this contest. Obviously, you're not going to win a whole hell of a lot of games forcing zero punts. Uh, and also fellow students that are flashing the mob sign. There is nothing more anti-mob than going an entire freaking game and not forcing one goddamn punt. I'm sorry, but don't throw it up when we're <laughs> when we're just getting when Oklahoma's. That's the other thing too. I haven't even had a chance to touch on. K State only got Oklahoma a third down seven times in this game. That's that is a very damning stat when you only force the opponent into seven third downs and they convert four of them um again i i i don't want to harp too much we, we've already talked about this we know k-state does not have linebackers uh issues, not necessarily all linebackers but you, you don't have guys that can laterally cover a lot of ground 
on uh, as far as your outside linebackers go. You're going to have to find more exotic ways in, to incorporate your safeties to help out in pass coverage. And there's obviously going to be a very big task forthcoming for those linebackers as well with Iowa State, who probably has uh, the best tight ends in the Big 12. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about that in more detail here as we when we do next week's show in which we'll preview the game against Iowa State. But I did want to circle back to special teams. We talked about Oklahoma not punting once in this contest. K-State special teams, however, uh, deliver another big play in this game. You have the Malik kickoff return for a touchdown back-to-back weeks for him. Uh, that was definitely helped out by Oklahoma getting a personal foul penalty uh, previously. So the extra 15 yards that they're backed up allowed K-State, obviously, to uh, – allowed Malik to to get a running start at that one and, and take it the distance. It was another great return by him weaving through traffic, uh, very much like the one down in Oklahoma State where he just finds lanes and is, is able to elude defenders. He's such a smooth runner for a guy that's as big as he is. But um, the much bigger play in special teams that I think everybody wants to talk about here is the onside kick. And this came at a very pivotal juncture in the game. Kansas State has just scored to draw to within 27 to 17, looking to steal a possession because, quite frankly, they had to do that. They really they got the ball at the tail end of the first half and just had to eat the, that possession with only two seconds left on the clock. So K-State's trying to steal a possession to get back in the game. Zetner has a great kick, jumps on it, runs to the sideline, man, and a He's got, he's got gorgeous hair. He just he just does. I have to throw that out there. Zender's got gorgeous hair, and he's got the hat on backwards, and he's just loving life and everything. And then uh, that play gets taken away by two reviews. Now, uh, again, I guess I'm just going to – I'll just tee this one up. Uh, whoever wants to go first and take this one, feel free to do so because I, I, I've got some thoughts on it, but I know everybody else does too. So whoever wants to jump on this first, feel free. I'll start because I probably have the least amount of thoughts on it. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I love the play call. I love how aggressive we were being in that game with all the fourth down um, going for it and then the onside kick. Um, you know, it was obviously the right call after looking at the replays. They got it right in the end. But were they allowed to replay, to go back and, uh, you know, check it out again? I, I'm i still very unclear about it. Um, you know, I think you guys probably – have looked into it a little bit more than I have, so I'll let you guys go. So my thoughts are I'm always a fan of getting the right call, whether it's, you know, against my team or not. If it's the right call, then I live with it. Um, it does kind of suck that we thought we had it, and then they reviewed it, and then we definitely had it, and then we didn't have it. Um, I also don't think that the – the rule of illegal touching, I don't think the spirit of the rule was to catch a kicker that abs- accidentally double-tapped an onside kick because, you know, how, who's ever going to see that with the naked eye? I don't think that's necessarily the, the point of that rule, but that is the rule. It's probably not something anyone thought about when they wrote it, and they're kind of just like, well, you know, a lot of rules have those unintended consequences, and I think that's one of them. Um, I think the Big 12... I think the refs fucked up in the initial thing. They got it right. The Big 12 fucked up in clarifying exactly what happened to try to make it seem like there was no fuck up. So, yeah, the whole thing was just stupid. And, you know, it sucks that we 
you know, maybe didn't get the benefit of the doubt and kind of get a call that we most, I would say probably what 95, if this happened a hundred times, 95% of the time, uh, we probably would have had possession of the ball. Um, just a lot of weird things happened and, but I'll just end my rant and saying, it's hard for me to get angry about something when ultimately the call is correct. So, yeah. And somebody said it off air that, you know, if that, if that ball goes another yard, yard and a half and they don't have to review it in the first place, Alex raising your hand. Um, <laughs> if that ball goes another yard, yard and a half, you know, it's there, there's probably no review in the first place, which doesn't open the door to the second review. Um, yes, it was the right call. The ball hit his foot twice, but I have a problem with replay when it's, you know, when it, when it's exposing just ticky tack shit like that, you know, it, it's like when a base runner in baseball clearly beats a throw, but his foot comes a centimeter off the bag on the pop-up slide, you know, in real time, 20 years ago, no one gives that a second thought. And I think that's the situation here. So yeah, it's super unfortunate because it, you know, went not in K-State's favor. It's the right call, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. That, in my opinion, that's when replay really kind of starts to starts to affect the integrity of the game, and that's that's obnoxious. Now, all that to say, you know, again, I'm not by no means did that did that play, you know, decide the game. It's just just a, you know one of several bad bounces for K State that day. I guess in this case, two bad bounces. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would not be shocked. Uh, as K-State fans, we're, we're certainly no strangers to K-State-specific rules being created as a byproduct of us being <laughs> being illed. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, it, it was tough. It, 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 there's no other way to, to, to categorize it. it. It was just tough to watch. Zittner hit it so well. And like you guys all touched on it, that ball bounces another another foot where it's very apparent to the Oklahoma sideline and to the to the Big 12 and to the officiating crew that it went the necessary 10 yards. Like, again, it's all a moot point. K-State's got the ball and that that would have, again, really sparked the stadium with with two eleven left in the third or in the third quarter retaking possession with a chance to draw it to within a score before you head into the fourth quarter, that, that was very pivotal. And now K-State did ultimately end up forcing its one stop of the day, the Julius Brent's interception uh, on that drive for Oklahoma. So K-State did ultimately retake possession, but it all, uh, unfortunately, that drive uh, on which K-State retakes possession ends up in a turnover on downs uh, later on down the line. But it was just a game. Uh, again, we've talked about it ad nauseum here. Just you, you were you were chasing. You you really you got so many elements of the game that you needed to have. K State got this Oklahoma team into a low possession battle. K State only uh, you know gave the Sooners the ball eight times. Uh, they they didn't get into a track meet with Oklahoma. They they themselves had long time consuming drives uh, that you, you really could not have drawn up a much better recipe. And also in terms of execution, how K-State went about um, went about handling their business in this game. They, they did everything that they could have possibly done. Uh, if, if you're again, if we get if we're talking about a 12 or 13 possession game, I think this is obviously ending in a in a 
two, three score loss for the Wildcats, unfortunately, but that the Wildcats really did everything that they could to, to give the, this team as a collective a chance to, to win this contest. But unfortunately they come up short here. Uh, Oklahoma picks up its eighth win in 10 attempts uh, at KSU slash Bill Snyder Family Stadium uh, going back to the inception of the Big 12 and 96. So Oklahoma has definitely had good success uh, coming up to Manhattan. Guys, I, I do have to say, uh, or rather I do have to ask, are there any other parting thoughts that we want to get in on this contest as we get set to, to head into the bye week here? I was just going to say, I hope that they realize that there's still a lot of games left and they take kind of the good from this game and try to build on it and not dwell too much on the negatives. Um, Cause I do think, you know, a few tweaks here and there, if you guys, you know, who knows, maybe some guys on the bench that are going to get some opportunities. A few guys come in and play a little bit better. You know, there's still a lot of wins that can be had on this team. So um, I know as fans, we like to, you know, scream, you know, fire, the, the house is burning down after two losses. Everyone keeps saying we've lost seven consecutive Big 12 games, which is true, but, you know, that there's a lot of context to go in there. So, um, yeah, I hope that, although that was a loss, I think there's some good to take away from it. There's a bye week. There's a game that we can win at home ne- uh, in two Saturdays. And hopefully we don't kind of just let the negative start creeping in a little too much. Yeah, completely agree. Oklahoma's a good team. I mean, there's no moral victories here, but, you know, I was a lot less upset after this one than I was after Oklahoma State. Move on. Play better next time. Yeah, that's uh, I said at the beginning of the episode, I feel better now than I did a week ago. Um you got QB one back. He's got, you know, now two more weeks to, you know, get even more healthy. You know, if there, if there were any lingering effects, you know, I don't know if this, this new pocket passer Skyler is, is what is what's here to stay. Or maybe when he gets a little more, more, more confident on his legs, he'll start running the ball a little more. But uh, yeah, I think there, there are plenty of positives coming out of this one. So, you know, just to kind of echo what you guys said, you know, just, just, just look at those and, you know, build on them. This team has definitely demonstrated like there, there has the effort has not been an issue. And I know that it, like it, I, I hate talking about an intangible like that, but that that it's hard not to have a sour taste in your mouth with the way that things just again, I, I use the term cratered, but that was truly what happened at the end of last season. And you weren't really seeing the effort that you wanted to see. That has absolutely not been an issue with this team. Again, I think I would have I would have loved to have been at the stadium last Saturday to, to just hear the reaction and the energy from the crowd when they, you know, Mitch Fortner gets on the PA and, and says, that, you know, now starting at quarterback for Kansas State, Skylar, like you, you, I can only imagine what that was like. And again, I think this group that while that does end in a loss, that's still going to be the type of performance that I think that energizes and galvanizes this team as we head forward into the bye week. And then beyond that, you got some t- uh, additional time here to help get some of your guys right. Uh, as far as the injuries go, Chris Kleiman did talk about that uh, during the midweek presser. Mentioned that Boom Massey is going to be on the shelf for a little bit. Depends on how quickly he uh, he gets through rehab. Uh, we've got guys like 
Stubbs and TJ Smith, uh, Sebastian Taylor still working on getting back into the fold, Daniel Amater Bebe. And I mean, these guys are, are going to be and we're expected to be and will be big time contributors for this team going down the home stretch. So any time that you can buy for them to, or buy rather for them to, uh, to get healthy or healthier is definitely going to be a positive. And, and again, I, I think you guys all touched on it. There's, there's no shame. And I know everyone is going to throw the dumb bullshit loser mentality thing. Like that's, Y'all, we went toe-to-toe with the number six team in the country and a team that's going to be in in college football playoff contention. You went punch for punch with them for nine rounds. Like, a a one or two bad breaks went against you, and and you ended up losing this game. I think, to me, that should underscore the fact that you're you're this close to being a really fine football team and a team that, quite frankly, I still think – is the opportunity for nine wins there? I absolutely think that it still is. Uh, that's still a tall task, and I, but I think that this team can do it. There do have to do, definitely need to be some adjustments on offense or on uh, defense, rather. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how the offense plays things moving forward with Skyler and his mobility or lack thereof. But there's still a lot out in front of this team, as we've all kind of underscored here. And I, I do think, again, you to put it into context here you've faced the perennial favorite to win the league in a team in Oklahoma State that all of a sudden is five and zero and is creeping into that maybe this is the second best team in the Big 12 conversation so I think you really have two of your biggest hurdles out of the way if you're the Wildcats and the next biggest one is the one upcoming against Iowa State but we'll as we said, we'll talk about that more in next week's episode when we preview the Wildcats game against the Clones. Uh, I want to go ahead and put a bow on uh, this week number five and talk about awards here. We'll start off with the team MVP uh, for week number five. Um, I don't think there's any debate in anybody's mind. We talked about him at the top of the show. It was Skylar Thompson, 29, 41, 320 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He what else can you say? He, he was, he was sensational. We've talked about it. At, and, and again, the, the shot in the arm that he gives this team from a confidence standpoint, it, it was, it was tangible. You, you saw this team because again, we talk about the effort and whether or not this team maybe phones it in. If this team with under Will Howard gets down 27 to 10 midway through the third, I, I'm not trying to denigrate Will Howard here, but I don't know if that team has the wherewithal to, to try and punch back and get off the mat at that point. But we saw that this past Saturday with Skyler. So he is our team MVP. Now, uh, our our stipulation here. Oh, Clint, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, add in one tackle for him on that uh, Jacardia Wright fumble. Oh, you know, yeah. That, that turned into a field goal instead of a, a touchdown like it was going to be. You could tell he really didn't want to make that tackle. He was waiting for someone else to get it, but... uh you know, he got down and made it and looked for a second like he wasn't going to get back up. That was pretty scary, but, uh, <laughs> you know, give him credit for that one. No, Leave thank him you on again. the line, man. I was going to say, there weren't there weren't a whole lot of ta- or a lot of good tackles being made last Saturday, but that one in effect did save some points and, and uh, keep some points off the scoreboard for the for the Wildcat defense. Uh, so thank you again, Clint, for pointing that out. Now, uh, our next award is the Offensive MVP, the Darren Sproles Award for week number five. And uh, Clint, I was actually going to uh, 
pitch this to you here. Uh, we've talked about him uh, really starting to emerge here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Landry Weber with another great outing at wide receiver. Yeah, we debated on this one quite a bit. We ended up going to Landry Weber. You know, he's always been kind of that guy that we're like not too happy to see on the depth chart. We're just like, ah, oh, just another one of these try hard guys. Uh, we'd rather have some more athleticism in there. But he made some plays there where you're starting to think like, okay, there, there's something more to this guy. Um, you know, he had a couple of uh, kind of shorter catches where he was able to outmaneuver some defenders and gain some uh, quality yardage on. And then he had that one where, you know, it's not going to go on. It didn't, you know, it didn't help us because it went down as a, as a incompletion. But man, that was a nice, a nice try that he had, you know, the, uh, the, the fourth down um, incompletion was, was so close. So I'm going to give him at least a little bit of credit for that. Um, you know, if, if he can continue to do what he's doing in this game and be a number one or number two receiver, then, you know, I'm all for it. Let's see what he can do. Yeah. You look at his line here and you, you see four catches for 65 yards and, and does that jump off the page? No, not necessarily, but again, context helps here. Deuce Vaughn was the leading receiver for K state 10 catches for 104, but a lot of those came on, on check downs. Again, great presence of mind to find Deuce Vaughn, but, Skyler standing in the pocket and finding Landry on some of these comeback routes and Landry had some big kind of momentum changing plays that the perception that he made and he was making guys miss in space and in particular I think back to the one uh, right at the end of the third quarter when K-State again this is moments after the Brent's interception the Wildcats are looking to draw this thing to within a score and he's got that catch to get you. It makes a couple of defenders miss, as I said, and he gets you across midfield into Sooner territory. There's juice. There's life back in the stadium after Oklahoma had pretty well sucked all the life out of there after halftime, having gone up 27 to 10. Again, it was great to see Landry Weber contribute in a big time space like that. And and again, I think we've all talked about it. If this if this is going to kind of be the the way for the Messingham offense moving forward, where we're just going to be spreading it out, pitching it around 40 times a game. I'll say this, if, if what we saw against this type of formidable defense is what we'll see moving forward, because quite frankly, there aren't a lot of other defenses in this conference that can go athlete for athlete as far as what Oklahoma rolls out there. I'm I'm for it, and I think there's some big games upcoming for not just uh, Deuce Vaughn, but all but Landry Weber and all the wide receivers. So Landry is our offensive MVP. He is our Darren Sproles Award winner for week number five. We'll move next to our Mark Simino Award winner, which obviously goes to our defensive MVP. This was my pick going back to last week. My pick for the Stone Pounder, our boy Timmy Horn, finally broke through and had a big game. Justin. Yeah, um, Pickens were pretty slim on defense in general, but uh, Horn did make a little bit of noise. He had a, a a pretty timely sack when OU started with a short field on their first drive following that fumble. Um, only other tackle of the day uh, also came in the backfield. But, you know, obviously we, we've said his name a lot. He's he's really kind of kind of plugged that hole in the middle all year, so it's nice to see him actually – you know, break through and get some stats to go with it. But yeah, um, obviously I know he, he made a lot of noise when he first got here. So it's really nice to see him, you know, turn it into a pretty good player for us in the middle there. I loved watching him do the, the fishing line reel in after he got that sack. That was a great moment in the game. I, I, uh, 
Love to see a little bit of swagger from our dudes here. And again, the defense didn't have a whole lot to chirp about last Saturday, but Timmy Horn again was was doing his part as far as the defensive line goes. So he is our defensive MVP for week number five. We'll move next to special teams MVP. And uh, this is our David Allen award winner for week number five. Uh, no shocker here, Alex, we got to go with our boy uh, helping special teams you with a kick return touchdown back-to-back weeks, Malik Knowles. Yep, Malik Knowles. Um, I'm going to say if you return a kick or a punt for a touchdown, you're probably going to be our special teams player. <laughs> um, so that's two in a row for him. Again, he's just – this is why he's such a frustrating player is because when he gets the ball, he, he makes good things happen when he gets the ball. It's just very difficult, it seems, on offensive plays to get the ball to him. Um, or for, you know, the ball gets there and for him to catch it. But, um, yeah, the dude is just electric when he has the ball in his hands and he's got a little bit of space to work with. Um, he's got that nice mix of speed, uh, but he also has, some, uh, you know, some moves and really good vision to return those. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he makes it uh, three in a row after the Iowa State game. You know, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I love to rank players. And when I'm ranking my uh, special teams uh, kick returners, you know, I, I even though he had that one kickoff return against uh, Mississippi State for the touchdown a couple years ago, I had him pretty low, pretty close to the bottom as far as my returners. All of a sudden, he's got three career kick returns for touchdowns. And you have to start thinking, well, man, he, he might be up there with the all-time best as far as uh, kick returners go. I think it's also worth noting, too, that like this is the second week in a row that it wasn't just a product of great blocking either. You know, he had to make some guys miss on that play. So, yeah, I mean, not only is he taking these to the house, he he's earning them, too. Yeah, the thing with him not being high on your list is I would imagine his because uh, he hasn't necessarily been like a full time return guy for us. Like he's probably back there quite a bit, but he doesn't always he's not always in the return man position. Mm-hmm. So. You know, his uh, per touch on special teams has got to be pretty impressive. And if you think back to to the 2019 meeting against Iowa State, the Wildcats got a kick return touchdown to open up things in that contest as well. So we'll see if um, Matt Campbell's feeling ballsy when he rolls into Manhattan here in a couple of weeks and wants to roll those dice and let Malik get his hands on one and try and bring another one back for the cat. So uh, yeah, I, I had to laugh though, Alex, you know, whenever the big 12 is doling out their weekly awards, you can usually pretty confidently bank on, well, who had, you know, which special teamer had the kick return touchdown or the punt return touchdown. That's our guy this week, you know, and, and I, I, I hate to sound lazy in that regard, but it's, it's obviously such a momentum shifting play. And in this case, you know, it was late stages of the game when, and, but this did get, did give the Wildcats the opportunity, you know, to draw to within 37 to 31 and potentially, you know, with an onside recovery, all of a sudden K-State has a shot to win that game. Uh, unfortunately that doesn't materialize, but Malik did put the Wildcats in a position to do that. So he is our David Allen award winner for week number five here. And I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll jump into the Unsung Hero Award uh, for this week, guys. Um, I know we had some debate about this one. 
Clint, I know you talked about this. Uh, the the offensive line really just as a whole, and this was, again, my that was my pick for the Marvin Show Me More Simmons distinction last week. They really did come through in a big way for Kansas State, I, and I don't think it would be fair to single out any one guy. I think they were all pretty sharp last Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, they had a hobbled quarterback and um, that they had to protect, and they were up for the job. They um, formed that pocket around him and did a phenomenal job of keeping the OU defenders off of him. They uh, they gave up the one sack, but for you know a quarterback who wasn't able to move as well as he normally does, that's really good. Um, you know, just giving Skyler that opportunity just to sit back there and be comfortable and not have to worry about his injury um, really paid huge dividends for the kind of game that uh, that Skyler Thompson was able to have. Just one sack allowed and only one quarterback hurry, so. Again, big ups to the offensive line, Adler, Rivas, Noah Johnson, Cooper Beebe, all of them doing great work uh, for Kansas State this past Saturday. Uh, now we'll wrap things up here, and we're going to ro- roll these two into one here. Our, our Arthur Brown Award winner for Newcomer of the Week and also our Trey Walker Award winner. Uh, this kind of goes hand in hand here. Uh, again, Pickens, as you alluded to, Justin, Pickens were slim on the defensive side, but we ultimately ended up landing on uh, Julius Prince for both of these as he delivered one of really the the only bright defensive plays in this game for Kansas State. Timing of it was pretty huge, obviously. It looked like all momentum was in K-State's favor after the onside kick. That obviously gets overturned, and Oklahoma's got a pretty short field with a chance to push that back to a three-possession lead. So for him to come up with that pick when he did, you know, pretty damn timely for your first pick of the season. I know he had been getting kind of picked on. You know, there was that stat that came out last week about him being one of the most targeted cornerbacks in the Big 12. So nice to kind of see him, you know, maybe respond to some of that criticism. That will do it for the Week 5 Awards. Again, Julius Brents collecting two honors this week for the Arthur Brown Newcomer of the Week and also the Trey Walker Award given to the player who delivers the moment of the game. So those are your Week 5 Award winners. I'll go ahead and briefly touch on the week that was in the Big 12. Of course, again, K-State falling to the Sooners in Manhattan, 37-31. to uh, A quick note on that game from the Oklahoma perspective. This is a crazy stat. Sooners have scored at least 30 points in each of its last 34 true road games, which is the longest streak nationally going back over 40 years now to 1980. Uh, the the next closest team in that regard is actually Northern Illinois with 19 straight games, 19 straight road games, rather, of 30 or more points scored. So again, Sooners have always been productive away from home under Lincoln Riley and, and obviously going back to Bob Stoops, a very impressive streak there by Lincoln's, uh, Lincoln Riley's bunch, which is now off to a 5-0 and start. Also off to a 5-0 start are the Oklahoma State Cowboys. They handle business at home against the Baylor Bears. 24-14 is the final score in that game. They put the clamps down on Baylor defensively. They actually limit the Bears. This is the fourth straight game in which Oklahoma State has limited an opponent to 100 yards or fewer in one half of football. Uh, Gary Bohannon not particularly effective throwing for Baylor, only 173 yards passing, uh, outdueled somewhat by Spencer Sanders, who had 182. He does have a touchdown, uh, but also three picks. Jalen Warren, uh, 36 totes and 125 yards rushing for the Cowboys. Again, not a particularly impressive effort, but this is just 
kind of been who Oklahoma State has been this season. They are not at all aesthetically pleasing to watch, uh, but this defense has been rock solid. They hold Baylor, again, under 300 for the game. Uh, they limit the Bears to just 10 first downs. This is just kind of what this Mike Gundy squad's doing. They're they're off to a 5-0 and start for the first time since 2015, and a big game upcoming for Gundy's squad as they get set to take on Texas and Austin the week after Red River. So Red River coming up this Saturday. So perhaps a good spot, excuse me, perhaps a good spot for Gundy squad uh, to potentially get a, either a Texas team coming off of a big upset of Oklahoma or a Texas team perhaps feeling down on its luck after losing a very emotionally charged game against the Sooners. So Oklahoma State kind of turning into a team to keep an eye on here in the Big 12. I touched on it a little bit earlier. This might end up being one of the top two or three teams. I know we were kind of sleeping on them early and saying that the luck was going to run out, but that just has not been the case at all. Oklahoma State has delivered here. They're back in the top 25 and continue their ascent up the polls. A couple other games to touch on before we wrap things up here. Texas Tech, after getting blitzed by Texas down in Austin uh, last week, giving up 70 points to the Longhorns and losing that game 70-35, to a game in which we all kind of thought this might be spelling the end of Matt Wells' uh, career in in Lubbock. Uh, Texas Tech goes up to Morgantown and picks up a big-time road win. Uh, that's their second straight win up there. They went up there and popped uh, popped uh, West Virginia back in 2019. They do it again here. 23 to 20 is the final. They had a pretty uh, pretty big lead early on in this contest. West Virginia did battle back, uh, but Texas Tech ultimately last one holding the ball, at least the last meaningful possession. They're able to come through with a late field goal as time is running out to win this one again. 23 to 20 is the final a nice win for matt wells texas tech off to a four and one start picking up their first conference win of 2021 and i don't know how this makes a lot of people feel uh these are two programs that are thought to be on fairly level playing field with kansas state uh west virginia now falling to two and three oh and two in big 12 play here Uh, not a shocker that west virginia lost in in norman a couple weeks ago but this one i think you felt fairly confident about picking the ears to hold serve and defend home turf, but they aren't able to come through and do so. So we'll see what Neil Brown squad does as we move forward. And, and for the moment though, Texas tech again, feeling good about life. You're four and one getting, getting ready to come home and play host to, to TCU here, a team that's been reeling uh, as big 12 play has begun. And that, that calling card, as we've talked about for so many years for Gary Patterson has been the TCU horn frog defense and it's really just not been there at all for the Frogs. Uh, they have another game. They, they're they hosting Texas this past Saturday. The Longhorns rip them for 32 points. Uh, not a particularly big day through the air, but Bijan Robinson, really the one doing the damage for Texas in this one. 35 carries, a bell cow day for him. He wraps, racks up 216 yards, a couple touchdowns. Uh, Texas really... A little bit of a seesaw affair through the first quarter, but Texas took control and took a lead into halftime and, and were playing pretty much ahead of the curve from that point. They were up 23-17 to 17 going into the locker room. They get a field goal by Cameron Dicker to start things off in the third quarter to stretch that lead to 26-17. to 17. And 
not nine is a weird number. And when you get to a crooked number like that, you're usually in a pretty good spot. And, and Texas is able to stretch that out to 12 points later on in the fourth quarter. And they hang on. Uh, TCU needed a long, painstaking 99-yard drive that ate up a lot of the fourth quarter just to make that to get back to within striking distance. But again, Gary Patterson's squad struggling defensively. Uh, they only force one turnover. They give up 414 yards and 25 first downs. Texas owns time of possession. So TCU, kind of a surprise to see how much that defense has regressed these last couple of years. Uh, but again, if you're looking at this from a Kansas State fan's perspective, you got TCU coming up on the schedule here in a couple weeks. You're probably feeling reasonably good about the Wildcats' chances in that matchup to pick up a win. And I know K-State uh, typically has done well against the Horned Frogs in Manhattan, so obviously hoping that that trend continues there. Uh, no shocker in, in Ames, Iowa State hammers Kansas. This was the game I, I think everybody saw forthcoming. Uh, the Clones have been the superior team in both their losses, they they significantly outgained Iowa and, and Baylor in those two games that they ultimately ended up losing. Um, they've been a remarkably efficient team. They've just can't get out of their own way with untimely penalties and turnovers. Just a lot of self-inflicted wounds that have led to a sputtering now three and two start to the season, but they get right at home against Kansas. 59 to seven is the score. I know I've joked about KU being a pretty solid two and a half quarter team. Uh, they, they didn't get off the bus this past Saturday. Tornado birds got up on them 28 0 after the first quarter and never once glanced back as they end up running away. Brees Hall with a nice day rushing. He has 123 yards. Brock Purdy, sharp, uh, 17 of 22 for 245 and four touchdowns. Uh, again, Iowa State did anything it wanted to do whenever it wanted to do it. So a big win for the Cyclones. They also, again, will be coming uh, going into a bye week this week as K-State will host the Tornado Birds here on October 16th in Manhattan, Kansas. So big game looming for both of those squads. We'll obviously discuss that one in much greater detail in next week's preview pod. With that said, we'll wrap it up here. Go ahead, do podcast things. As we say, whatever your preferred platform is, go ahead and subscribe, rate and review us if you have a few moments. Again, we'll, we love and appreciate any and all feedback that we can get on the show. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter if you haven't had a chance to already. Again, it is college underscore Kimball. And there will be another College and Kimball episode showing up in your feed this week. Uh, we have this, obviously, the recap pod that you've just wrapped up here, and we're also going to put out our Q&A pod. So hopefully you guys enjoy that as well uh, during the bye week here. So with all that said, we'll conclude it as we always do. Cats, man, if you know, you know. You